0: So let me begin by asking you the obvious question in light of our topic this morning. Look up here on the screen, are you kind? I think that's the $10 question today for you and me. Are are, are you kind? And before you answer that too quickly in your head, maybe apply this test as a way of helping answer that. Would others around you who know you best say that you are kind? That's really the acid test, isn't it? Not whether you see yourself as kind, because we all know that self-deception is a very powerful thing, but do others around you experience you as a kind person? You know, in preparation for this morning, I obviously asked this question of myself. I said, well, Rasmussen, would would people around you say that you're kind? And I got to tell you, I was a little bit uneasy with the answer to this question. Because there, though there are some around me that I've stacked the deck with and would say that I'm kind, uh, people in my family or some coworkers here or some friends, the reality is, is that there's others in my life that would say, no, he's not very kind. And then I took it even a step further. I said, well, those who would say that I'm not kind, is it because they are overly sensitive and haven't worked through their childhood issues yet, which isn't very kind, or is it because they might have a point? And I got to tell you, the answer to that made me a little bit nervous because when I answered it that way, I thought, well, again, there's some around me that are a bit thin-skinned that kind of bleed when I just give them a look. But then there's others around me that are discerning and wise and they have a lot of discernment. And they too would say, Jamie, you could use some training wheels at times when it comes to kindness. And I realized that there are those around me that would say you need to work on this thing called kindness and I gotta tell you, it doesn't surprise me. You know one of the things I've been convinced of over the years is that we all tend to follow patterns that were set for us in the early years, we really do. And and though my dad in many ways is a wonderful man and I love him to death and I've told you a lot about him over the years, uh, one of the things that my dad was probably not known for when I was growing up was kindness. In fact, we tease him now his favorite word to the kids while we were growing up was what? What? He must have said that a thousand times. He'd be on the couch reading, we'd say dad, he'd say what. We'd call him at work on his private line. He'd pick up, he knew it couldn't be a client because it was private line and he'd say what. He didn't even say hello. He'd just say what. And if it was my mom, he'd soften right away. If it was one of the kids, we'd say dad, are you busy and he'd say yes. What? When we finally started having grandkids, this was his chosen name. Instead of being called Grandpa, he wanted to be called Grumps. And so that's what all the grandkids have called him for the last 20 years, Grumps. And you know, one of the scandals of getting old is that you either get more hardened or more softened. Have you found that yet? I'm telling you, old people go one way or the other. They become worse than they were when they were 40, or they become much more nice. My dad, to his credit, has become more nice and kind. So about a decade ago, Paul and I were visiting him in Maine. My parents were walking down the road, and Paul said to me, he was like six years old, he said, Dad, I don't understand why we call him grumps, because he doesn't seem to be that way. And I looked at him, I said, you didn't know him ten years ago. He's not the same man. I mean, my dad was a grumpy guy when I was growing up, and he wasn't always kind, And the reality is, is that I spent most of my early 20s telling myself I would never be like that. And if you guys found this, you tell yourself in your 20s, you're not going to be the negative traits of your parents. And then you get to 40 and you wake up and go, oh, stink. (laughs) The things that you didn't want to become, you start to become. And and I got to admit, there's times that I'm more like my dad was than I want to be add this to the fact that my spiritual gifts are in teaching and in leadership not in mercy or hospitality or encouragement or hugging and i realize that again i need some remedial training in kindness and i want you guys to know that i do not say this as an excuse this morning i really don't i thought long and hard about that today because though some of us might not have had great modeling when it comes to kindness over the years. The fact is, and this is what we're gonna see today, God talks about kindness a lot in this book. He really does. I mean, one of the themes that you cannot escape when it comes to grace, it's why it's made its top five in our look at at, at embracing grace in the church, is this theme of kindness. I mean, think about what you know of the Bible. Uh, Kindness is one of the fruits of the spirit in Galatians five. So it's an evidence that you know God. It's an evidence that you are walking with him. Kindness. Jesus told many stories on kindness. The good Samaritan, the prodigal son, the king who forgave a great debt that we looked at a few weeks ago. One of the most powerful Hebrew words used over and over again in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word kesed, which is translated loving kindness. The fact that God demonstrates his kindness to us precisely when we don't deserve it. And so please see, God invented this thing called kindness. It's rooted in his nature. And as we're going to see in just a minute here, he calls you and me to kindness as well. Get this, no matter what our temperament, no matter what our giftedness, no matter what our background, he calls us to embrace grace. And one of the ways we do this is through kindness. So let's unpack this a little bit more today. And here's your first point. I know the outline's blank. That's because the outline is due on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, I was still boning up on kindness. So I had to study hard Thursday, Friday, and into Saturday. So the outline didn't get made till Friday. So I have it on the screen here, but you're going to have to fill it in on your paper there. Here's the first point. God calls us to not just talk about love, but to show it through Kindness. This is going to be a really important point for some of us. I'm relating here kindness and love. God does not just call us to talk about love, but he shows it to us in his kindness. And so here's the deal. All of us know that Christians are called to love. And we all know, however, that it's easy to talk a big game when it comes to love. And so one of the things I've realized is that the reason that God invented kindness is so that love can be demonstrated in action. In other words, that's what kindness is, as we're going to see in a minute here. It's love in action. And, you know, as I was doing some study this past week in the New Testament on this idea of kindness, some pretty profound things hit me, and I want to share them with you right now. I think for those of you who love journeying through the Bible, you're going to like what we're going to do over the next five minutes there's basically one primary Greek word that the New Testament uses to talk about kindness it's a Greek word that appears in many forms it appears as a noun a verb a participle it's the Greek word krestos krestos and interestingly this word which appears about 18 times in the New Testament is only translated into the English as kind or kindness about 10 times the other eight times it is translated as good So krestos can mean kind, we'll define that in a minute here, or it can mean good, it's translated ten times as kind. And yet here's what I found interesting. Five of these ten times are used in describing God, and five are used in describing how we should be. Isn't that interesting? god saw to it that it's an even split five times it uses the word krestos, kindness to tell us who god is and what he's like and then five times to tell us what we should be like so it looks like this look up here on the screen it begins with the fact that god's character is kind that's what the bible makes clear three times using the word crestos it tells us that his character is kind And the kindness from God's character is a result of His grace. It flows from His grace. So it's Luke 6, verse 35. He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Why? Because He shows grace. Ephesians 2, 7. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Interesting. Grace in kindness. And then Romans 11, verse 22. Note that then, then that the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. And then I also put 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 6 there. Because in 2 Corinthians 6, 1, it tells us not to receive God's grace in vain. And then in verse 6, it links it to his kindness. And so all of a sudden, we start to put together here the fact that the Bible communicates to us that God's character is one of kindness. Before he even does anything, kindness is built into who God is, and it flows from his grace. And yet it doesn't stop here. Here's the second thing I realized, and that is that God's actions then, because his character is kind, his actions are kind. And get this, his kindness is most seen in our salvation. The fact that he has given us in Jesus uh, Jesus Christ the Bible describes as a sign of God's kindness so it's Titus 3 verse 4 but when the goodness and loving kindness of God and our Savior of God our Savior appeared when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared that's talking obviously about Jesus so when Jesus appeared God said that's my kindness Romans 2, verse 4. Many of you know this verse. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So the fact that God gave us the gospel, he says, is a sign of his kindness. It's his action toward us that shows us his character of kindness. So notice there, five uses of the word crestos, Five times there. It tells us about God's character, about his actions, and describes them as kind to us. Now notice the third leg of this journey, how the other five uses of krestos appear, and that is in our call then to be kind. Isn't this awesome? And our call to be kind, now don't miss this, flows from God's character and from his actions. The fact that he is kind to you the fact that he is kind in and of himself, the fact that he has saved you and me, the fact that he has given us Jesus and his grace, and in that is his kindness, the Bible says now you all be kind to one another. And i got to tell you, it's all over the place in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient, love is kind. Second Corinthians 6, 6, listing a bunch of things that you and I need to be. It says purity, knowledge, patience, say it with me kindness galatians 5 but the fruit of the spirit of lo- is love joy peace patience say it with me kindness colossians 3 verse 12 put on then as god's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts say it with me kindness and then ephesians 4 32 it says be kind to one another So all those one another passages, kindness finds its way into those as well. You can begin to see how God wants this to work. He is kind and good in his character. He demonstrates his kindness to us in giving us Christ. And from this then, he says he wants us to be like him and to be kind to those around us. I read a well respected author this week who was defining discipleship, and I like how this person defined a disciple. He said, and I quote, A disciple does what Jesus does for the reasons that Jesus does it. Do you like that? A disciple, somebody who's a follower of Jesus, does what Jesus does for the reasons that Jesus does it. And here's the deal Jesus was kind, Jesus is kind. And he's kind to us because the Father's character is kind, because the Trinity is kind. And he now wants us as his disciples to be kind as well. Anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus will by necessity grow in kindness. It's in God's character, it's in his actions, and by result result then, it's to be in us. Now, I know how many of you think You're thinking, well, Jamie, up to this point, that's been a good review. You haven't really told me anything I didn't already know. You just made me feel more guilty for what I'm not. And I get that. And so the question you and I need to wrestle with is that if it's true that God wants all of us to display or to have in our character and our actions this thing called kindness, then what precisely is kindness? Right? What exactly does it mean to be kind? I mean, it sounds like such a simple question, but I'm not sure we could define it in such a clear way as to be able to repeat it to those around us. I've already hinted to a definition in our statement here in the first point in suggesting that kindness is love demonstrated, that it's love shown in a tangible way, but I want to even be more clear with our definition of kindness. So look up here on the screen. Here's a good definition of kindness, and that is that kindness is actively extending good to others if you've ever wanted a good working definition of kindness this is, is this is it it's actively extending good to others so check this out it, it goes beyond saying that you love another person because it's easy to talk and it tangibly shows love to another person And so kindness is seen in how you speak to another person. It's seen in how you respond to their goofiness. It's seen in how you treat them in your actions. It's seen in how you treat them in your reactions. Please don't miss this. It's going to be very important for us today. Kindness, by its very definition, is an action word. It is only seen in one's actions and how you treat another person, of which if it is not seen... No matter how good your heart might be, there's no kindness. Kindness, by its very definition, is an action word. Some of you are saying, is that really true? It's true. Isn't it interesting in Matthew 25, when Jesus is telling us that very powerful parable about the sheep and the goats, talking about the end times when God will separate the two groups of humanity into the sheep and the goats, that he implicitly defines and describes kindness precisely the way that we are here Uh, look at how Jesus tells the story look at Matthew chapter 25 verses 31 to 40 I'm going to read it for you and you'll see it here I've highlighted it for you that the kindness Jesus says when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now here it is. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Now let me ask you, would any of us here right now fail to recognize that Jesus is talking about kindness? that he's talking about kindness. I mean, he obviously is. He's talking about people who are kind, actively extending good to others as an outpouring of their faith and love for God. And don't miss that in talking about kindness, he uses six action words or phrases. Giving food, giving drink, providing hospitality, clothing another, visiting another, and then physically coming to another. Jesus is outlining for you and me what kindness is And what it looks like here in this wonderful uh, story and description of his and so by defining and describing kindness this way Jesus is obviously making clear that this is what his followers are to do how they're known and recognized how they exhibit kindness actively extending good to others and folks I got to tell you what is so powerful and liberating about seeing and understanding kindness this way is that you begin to realize, now don't miss this, that though kindness many times will begin with a tender heart and warm feelings toward another and then result in benevolent actions toward them, it doesn't have to work that way. In other words, if you've been tracking with me so far this morning, you will have picked up that kindness is all about how you act toward another, how you treat them, this actively extending good to others, And though it might involve good feelings on the inside, and this is the way it is to work the majority of the time, it doesn't have to. And that's what makes kindness so powerful and unique. Kindness, in its essence, is an action toward another person, and its power is that it's a choice that you and I can make in any given moment of any given day to be kind or not, regardless of what our feelings are telling us. So you and I can be kind to another person even when our feelings haven't caught up yet. We can choose kindness, your actions toward another person, even when your emotions are stuck in neutral or even going in reverse. And this is what makes kindness such a powerful and liberating thing and quite frankly, unlike many other traits found in the Bible. I mean, think about it. This is what makes kindness so different than joy, doesn't it? you can't have joy without joyful feelings you really can't i mean i know some people who try to say they can they'll say i'm really joyful today i'm like well it doesn't show it's like you don't seem to be joyful i mean how's that working for you how do you have joy without joyful feelings or peace how do you have peace without truly resting internally in god you don't I, again, I know people try to say it, don't you, know? They'll say, I'm, I'm at peace today. And then they go out and spend money they don't have. I'm at peace today. And then they go they'll treat people in ways they shouldn't treat them. And, and they make bonehead decisions. And I go, well, it doesn't seem like you have a lot of peace inside of you right now. You see, the way many of the fruits of the Spirit work is, is that you're going to have corresponding feelings that come with them that tell you that indeed that's happening in you. But kindness works a little bit differently. It's good to have feelings with kindness. But kindness, by its raw definition, is extending good to others. And by its very definition, it's not a feeling, though it might involve feelings. It's an action. It's a choice. And the cool thing is, is that you and I could choose to do this, whether our feelings are catching up or not. So this happens to me almost every day. I got to tell you, I mean, the staff really have been teasing me a little bit, saying, you're going to speak on kindness? Like, doesn't your hypocrisy stop somewhere? <laughs> and, 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 and that's not a very kind thing for them to say. I agree with you all. We need to pray for our staff. But, but the reality is, is, that, is that they're right. I, I'm telling you guys, I battle every day this thing called kindness. I mean, I try to watch my P's and Q's, but I, I battle it every day. I was at Mayo uh, two weeks ago with my wife, Kim. She was getting gallbladder surgery. She got her gallbladder out. And uh, they've come a long way with gallbladder surgery. When my mom had it done, it was a, she was in the hospital for five days. It, she was laid up for six weeks. And now they get you in and out in a day, even though it's still major surgery. And uh, you recover in about seven to ten days, which Kim has. And we've been very thankful for that. But it was a long day. We got there at about eight in the morning. And if you've ever done an outpatient surgery at Mayo, they got it down to a science and so we we're in there at eight, and they give you a little number as they wheeled Kim away, and they gave me a little number, and then there's a board there that, that, that kind of tracks you through the whole thing, like she's in pre-surgery now, she's in surgery, she's in the recovery room, and you can track her, kind of like Domino's does with making your pizza. You can track her online, you know, of how she's doing. And really, and, and, and it's a very, very nice and workable system. And, and so we got there at eight o'clock, and I, and I prayed with Kim and saw her off, and then I started my, my wait. And for some reason, her, her, her surgery took a little bit longer. The surgeon finally came out and told me that, but he said everything came out great. Everything's fine. We'll know in a few weeks if, if it's helped some of her symptoms. And, uh, and, and he said, you know, they should be calling you soon to go back and see her. Do you see what I'm going with this? He said, they'll be calling you soon. I heard him say soon. And, and I'd already been waiting there for about three hours. It's about 11 o'clock in the morning. And noon hit, and one hit, and 1.30 hit. And, and for those of you who know me, I'm, I'm starting to get hot. I mean, I I don't mind waiting for four or five hours, but I'm starting to get a little bit hot as I'm sitting there and I'm watching everybody else go back to see their loved ones except me. And as I'm getting hot, I'm thinking to myself, well, should I go up and say something? And I thought if Kim was here, she would say, no, you do not go up and say something because you won't say it nicely. You don't go up and say something. So I refrained. I didn't go up and say anything. I did walk by a couple times and the nurse smiled at me. I smiled back and you know, thought, hint, hint, you know, and went to the bathroom and things like that. And so I finally sat there, and, 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 and I even thought, you know, do I go play the pastor card? Wouldn't that just embarrass all of you? Don't you know who I am? You know, I mean, that type of thing, and that never works. And so finally, at about 2.30, they call me back, and they say, well, Mr. Aspen, are you ready to go back and see your wife? And I said, thank you. And as I was following the nurse back, this is a true story, she looked back and she said to me, we've been talking about you. And I thought to myself, get in line. I got an entire church that's been talking about me. She said, we've been talking about you. And I said, oh, yeah, what have you said? She said, we are just so blown away by your patience. That's what she said. I said, yeah, it's in my nature, that's me. I'm glad you noticed. No, you know what I thought? I thought what any of you would have thought. I thought, thank you, God. Thank you that I didn't say anything. Thank you. Now, here's my point. I was kind for those three hours. I was kind. And yet, did I feel like being kind? No. Did everything in me want to not be kind? Yes. Was I wrestling with it during those three hours? Yes. But interestingly, all the nurses saw me as... Kind. And if truth be known, I was. Because kindness is not always in how you feel, kindness is how you act. at That night, we had to go back to the emergency room. They messed up in the uh, post operative thing. They forgot to do a couple of procedures, and so we had to be back in the emergency room, and it was clearly their fault. But Kim, who, who, who like, you guys know her, she exhibits kindness. I mean, she I'm, I'm like the Auntie Kim. I mean, my wife is kind. And, and, and she's just leading the way in kindness as they're having to redo a procedure back there. And, and, you know, again, they once said to us, they said, you know, you guys are so patient. We really appreciate your understanding and all of this. Even though there were parts of me that at times wanted to say a few things or to dig in or to do something because I felt frustrated. I felt annoyed. And, and you see, that's what most of us are unkind, isn't it? I mean, when we're feeling good, we're kind. Again, because feelings tend to lead to our actions. No, no, we struggle with kindness when we're annoyed, when we're frustrated, when we're impatient. And it's right then where God says, okay, you're not feeling it. I get that. But, but you have a choice. You have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Go with Him. Choose kindness in this moment. It, you know, it's really... Um, vogue in my circles today, pastoral circles, to talk about acts of kindness. I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but churches do that all the time. In fact, they have entire ministries called acts of kindness. That phrase, acts of kindness, is all over the place. Marcia Myers and I were talking this week, Marcia Myers, and we were talking about this idea of kindness. She runs a ministry on kindness, and she said, we agreed that that phrase, acts of kindness, is actually an incorrect phrase, because acts of kindness assumes that, that, that kindness cannot be an act. Like you're showing an act of kindness right now the question is 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 there such thing as an unact of kindness and there's not the reality is kindness by its very definition is an act you don't have to do acts of kindness if you're just kind God says that is an action and that counts and you see here's one of the most powerful things about kindness when a church begins to incorporate it into its DNA and this is your second of only two points this morning And that is that kindness, when a church demonstrates it, grows exponentially in God's economy. It's a thought I want to leave you with. It's the most cool thing about kindness. And it simply works like this. Kindness, the Bible tells us, I'll show you here in a second, begets kindness. It feeds on itself. And though an action can seem very small when you see a kind action, if followed by another kind action and then followed by another kind action, it becomes viral, it becomes contagious, and before you know it, a small little seed of kindness has now become a full-blown tree, giving shelter and shade to all the animals in the forest. And that's precisely, by the way, the word picture that Jesus, is, Jesus uses. Oh, one more scripture today, parable of the mustard seed, it's found in Matthew 13, verses 31 to 32. Look up here on the screen, this is such a cool parable. In fact, I want to teach on this parable sometime next year because I've, I've always wanted to flesh this out more. We're just going to reference it right now, but it relates to kindness. It says, He, Jesus, put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So a simple story. A small seed becomes a huge tree. And obviously, and this is why I want to preach it, this parable is referring to the gospel itself. Do we all understand that? I mean, it's a parable talking about the fact that the gospel started in Jerusalem with 12 disciples 2,000 years ago, and Jesus, I believe, is prophesying here, predicting, showing us that eventually this thing's going to be a worldwide movement encompassing billions of people down through the ages. That's the kingdom of heaven. It's a profound, powerful movement of God on this earth. And yet I also believe, rightly understood, that this parable encompasses all the components and aspects of the gospel of which we've seen today that kindness is one of them, if not key. And so applying this parable to kindness, it's telling us that though a single action that is kind can seem small, like a mustard seed, almost not worth noting, it can quickly snowball into something profound, life-changing, really, in the lives of those it touches. That's Jesus' principle here. And we all know that this is true. We've all seen this in, a, in an array of ways in our culture today. We ran across a great story this week. Uh, Of something that happened in culture happened over at a Trader Joe's in Menlo Park California in the summer of 2009. A a gal was shopping at Trader Joe's her name was Jenny Ware and she was at the checkout counter and she realized that she had $200 worth of groceries at Trader Joe's and she forgot her wallet at home. And so she was all embarrassed and tried to get out of the line and all that but the gal behind her named Carol saw that she couldn't pay and she said, you know what, it's okay, I will pay your bill and if you wanna pay me back, that's fine, but if not, let's just get you on your way today. And so she paid the bill of $207. The very next day, uh, Carol received a check from Jenny, dropped off at her house for $300. And in the card was a note in which she said that she should use the other $93 to get a massage or do something like that, that she was just grateful that she paid her bill that day. Uh, but, but, but Carol didn't want a massage. She felt like she needed to do something benevolent with the money. So she got on Facebook, which is a social networking site with all of her friends, and she started asking them, what would you do with ninety three dollars? And a bunch of them said, well, probably the greatest thing you could do with it would be to give it to the Second Harvest Food Bank in Silicon Valley, an organization that, again, a food bank gives food to all other organizations out there that give food directly to the hungry. And she liked that idea, but she felt guilty about just giving $93. She wanted to double it, so she gave $186 to this food bank. And all of her friends on Facebook saw this, and then it went viral. It's now known today as the $93 Club and it's like thousands of people who have decided to give $93 to the Second Harvest Food Bank and between 2009 and 2010, over $100,000 came into the Second Harvest Food Bank uh, from people who joined the $93 Club. Just a small seed of kindness exponentially grew in this situation. And we all could tell similar stories like that. Now, here's my point. This is obviously an example simply from current culture, how kindness can be viral and grow exponentially. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine what would happen if the Holy Spirit and the church got a hold of this, if the church began overdosing on kindness. I want you to imagine what would happen if five Thousand adults who call Scottsdale Bible Church their home—more than that, actually—it's five thousand average attendants—were to start practicing kindness more on a regular level. Three things that I thought this week would happen: first, tangible needs would be met in profound ways, both inside and outside the church. I mean, we would turn Jesus's cup of cold water talked about in Matthew ten into a full-blown meal. We would. We would truly be a church that would be known for caring for its own, and as we're going to see in our next series, caring even for the community out there. As many of you know, I sit on the board of food Bank, St. Mary's Food Bank here in Phoenix, a very, very large food bank. They give away about 200,000 pounds of food a day. Let that sink in a minute. 200,000 pounds of food a day. There's 200,000 meals a day working with 600 organizations. And the founder of St. Mary's, who is now gone, he's dead, John Van Hengel, who founded St. Mary's in the 1960s, coined a phrase from his Christian heritage uh, using a verse that all of you have heard, but he added a little bit more to it and now sits on the boardroom wall. He said this, he said, the poor you always have with you, those are Jesus's words, the poor you always have with you, but should they go hungry? That was his addition. The poor you always have with you, but then he asked, but should they go hungry? And his point was is that the poor we will always have with us jesus is right you're never going to overcome fallenness and sinfulness in this world and so because we live in a fallen and sinful world we're always going to struggle socioeconomically which means we're always going to have some level of poverty but his point is should we have hunger in the midst of poverty i mean is that really right and they said no and born was saint mary's And though SBC already does a lot of wonderful things with our benevolence, we really do, folks. I mean, I'm very proud of our church. We have a thriving benevolent fund that you all give to generously. We support 500 children in Tanzania. We work with Phoenix Rescue Mission and Neighborhood Ministries down in the city. I mean, we do a lot. There's always room for more. Or or to use the the, the mustard seed analogy, the tree could always get bigger, amen? The, The tree could always get bigger. And I think there's room for us as a church to be more kind. And when we do, tangible needs get met. Second thing that happens when kindness infests a church is that richer relationships develop. And I'm really excited about this one. As we learn to be kinder to each other, kinder in the way we speak, kinder in what we do, I'm telling you, relationships explode. I mean, just ask yourself if you're not convinced this question. When someone does something kind to you, do you feel closer to them or repelled by them? Obviously, you feel closer to them because kindness draws another person in. I believe kindness is one of the unsung heroes in forging deeper relationality in the church. It heals a lot of wounds. And then thirdly, and probably most importantly, churches that overdose on kindness develop a deeper spirituality in and with their body. It's true. I I, I mean, this is precisely what Jesus was getting at in his parable in Matthew 25 that we referenced earlier. He said that when you did it to the least of these my brothers, you did it to to me, meaning him. And, And so get this, kindness actually has a direct link to our growth in Christ. Many of us don't see it like that. We really don't. We think kindness, what's the big deal? Like the $93 club. I mean, you know, anybody can do that. But as a believer and follower of Christ, he says that when you give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, when you provide tangibly kindness to another around you, it does something in your spirit. It does something between you and God. You're doing it to Him. You're doing it to God. And you grow strong. Churches grow strong from kindness. And so again, going back to our parable of the mustard seed, when a church begins planting seeds of kindness, the result will be a full-blown tree that meets tangible needs, that has richer relationships, that has deeper spirituality. Maybe look at it this way. Kindness is a triple threat to the kingdom of Satan. It is. It's the perfect storm Satan doesn't want. Because he doesn't want us to meet tangible needs. He doesn't want us to have richer relationships. And he doesn't want us certainly doesn't want us to grow closer to god so i began today with a question and the question was are you kind here's the question i want to leave you with what are you going to do with this today what are you going to do with it I, I just hope that what all of us would do is just try to be a little kinder this week in fact maybe even more practically maybe pick one or two people in your life who you're having trouble being kind to and say god i choose kindness for them this week I dare you to do that. I choose kindness. You won't feel like doing it. Your feelings might take a few months or longer to catch up, but you can choose kindness. And in the hands of God, that's a powerful thing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've called us as a church to this thing called kindness. And Lord, I admitted right up front that um, I got hypocrisy written all over my forehead on this one. And yet, Lord, we can't escape the call that you give us to demonstrate more and more kindness to those around us. That's how love is defined. And so God, I pray that as we hear that call, as we respond to that call and choose that this week, that God, you'd help us to do that. When we fall, help us to be gentle with ourselves, kind to ourselves and realize the forgiveness we have in Christ, but then help us to get back up, repent, and be kind. And God, use the kindness in our midst. Use the kindness to build your kingdom, to build a beautiful tree from a small seed, that breathes the love and grace and truth of Jesus Christ. We'll give you praise for what you do. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.